Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have everybody in the room. I got to say what's up, everybody online. Great to have you guys with us live. My name is Brian. The past year, just so glad to have you all here. And I want to get started by letting you know about just an experience Nicole and I had a few years ago. We kind of had the ultimate Colorado experience. We took a trip to Aspen, all right? We did, we did the ski trip, getting the whole deal. And here's the thing. Nicole skis, which is fine, but as a true man of God, I snowboard, Okay. Just, just saying, just putting that out there. It's just how it works. But we end up going on this trip, and we, we go up the first run. We're at Snowmass, and we just do the green kind of groomed trail to kind of get things going. And after one run, I'm like, Nicole, let's go to the top. I want to get the full experience. We're going to go to Aspen. I really, want, I really want to get see it all. Now, you need a little context here, though. Um, I've been snowboarding my whole life, right? So this has just been something I've do it, done. My wife, Nicole, is from Florida, Okay. She's been skiing a total of five times in her entire life. And now we're riding the lift to the top of Snowmass Mountain. And there was that moment where you're like starting to hit like the clouds and you realize this actually might be a problem. And I just feel my wife starting to get the anxiety in that moment. And I'm like, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And then you start getting closer to the top and you start seeing all the signs for the runs. It's like devil's blood and break your spine and triple black diamond death. And you're like, Oh my goodness, we have made a massive mistake. And here's what I know. If you have a pulse, you have felt that anxiety inside. If you have lived for any length of time, you have faced real fear. There's so many experiences of this. Like anybody, you're going in for like a new job interview, you feel like just the sweatiness in your hands before you go and have that conversation. I don't know if anybody has this experience for you. Maybe this is just my own anxiety. Sometimes even just with my phone rings, I'll see the name on the screen and start to just freak out. You have those people that just, they create anxiety for you. Like, I shouldn't even have them saved in my phone, okay? It's none of you guys, I promise. Um, but truly, so many different things. I know there's people in our church who get tests done, and they're driving into that doctor's office not certain which way the results are going to go and what the next steps are going to be. I know people who have a relationship situation and just the fear of the unknown and what the future might look like and if this thing can get repaired. I don't care what it is. Losing a job, an issue with the kids, or even just bad news in general, you are going to face stuff in life that just freaks you out. Like really creates a sense of fear and anxiety. And if, if you're new, you're just joining us or missed out the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series. We are simply calling, Take the Lid Off. And really, we're just kind of using this as an illustration to say, we all have barriers in our lives. We have lids that actually prevent the work of God to work in and through us. And one of the greatest lids, I really believe, for most of us, is actually the lid of fear. Fear can actually completely bring the purposes of God to a screeching halt in your life. And so I want to talk about just fear today. And what do we do with this thing? And can you actually get to a place where you can live a fear-free life and live in all of the confidence that God wants you to have, whatever you may be facing? So we're going to dig here into a passage. We'll be in Numbers 13 if you want to follow along. And just, I got to lay some groundwork here. Last week, we talked about this guy named Abraham. You know, he's kind of a well-known Bible character. And at one point in his life, God promises to give him a land, a promised land, which ultimately becomes Israel. Now, he doesn't really get to see this all come to fruition in his life. But nations, uh, Abraham's descendants 
actually become an entire nation themselves, the nation of Israel. And they spend 400 plus years in slavery in Egypt. Some of you guys, maybe this story is starting to just sound familiar. And at a moment in history, God does the miraculous and delivers them out of that situation and brings them to the fulfillment of hundreds and hundreds of years of a promise that they've been waiting for, the promised land. God brings them to the very edge of everything they were destined for, his very purposes for their lives. All right, this is a huge moment in history, everybody, massive. And now we're going to pick up the story right when Moses sends some guys out to check out the land and see what it's all about and if they can step into it. So this is where the story picks up, Numbers 13, verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, there's a big but in the Bible, everybody, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So let, let's, let's set the stage here. They come to the promise. Everything God wants for them. But there's a little problem. This land comes assembly required. It isn't all put together. There are hostile enemy nations swarming this place that don't want them in there and are going to kill them if they try to come in. And you, you just can't take this lightly, everybody. When they say fortified cities, okay, this is a big deal at this time. At this moment in history, these cities would have 30-foot-high walls around them, and they'd be sometimes even 20 feet deep. You could ride chariots across this stuff. So for inferior military technology, this is like an impenetrable force. They also talk about these descendants of Anak. This is actually a known ancient people group if you can believe this, they were seven to nine feet tall, okay? It's a nation of Yao Mings just living right in there. And just think about this, though. The average male Israelite was 5'6 at this time, right? Any of my short guy I love out there, right? 5'6. I don't care how much Pilates you do or how much CrossFit you've done. If you are about to go against a guy two to three feet bigger than you, you're about to get messed up. You're about to get very messed up. So you guys have to understand the weight of this situation and what they're trying to process. Now, this is what is so interesting about this dynamic and what we see in our lives. What do you do when it's God leading you into what looks like certain death? What do you do when God is the one leading you towards something that looks like is going to ruin your life? Now, I would say this way. Sometimes... God's greatest gifts are on the other side of our greatest fears. And everything you could ever hope for requires you to pass through what truly looks like is going to destroy your life. Now, can we just have an honest moment here? Can I just be real with you guys? I get annoyed at God sometimes. I read these stories and I'm like, God, why do you always got to make things so complicated? Like, why do you always got to be doing this? Like, why are you playing games with our lives? Like, can't you just clean the land out and we can move in and have a happy, nice life? Like, why does this always have to be so complicated? Like, clearly this is a problem. Like, this isn't going to work for these people. But you have to understand, many times, God will take you right up against a lid. God will lead you right to a place where you feel like it is going to be certain disaster for your life. Now, why would God do that, though? Why does God see it necessary to bring you to these places in your life? Well, here's the thing. You really don't know if you trust God 
until you really have to face the lid. You really don't know. And fear is one of the most recognizable symptoms that you have bumped up in the lid in your life. The moment that anxiety starts to swirl, you should stop and be like, all right, I'm bumping into something right now where my trust in God has reached its limitation. And for whatever reason, I don't think I'm going to make it through this moment in my life. You are forced to make a decision when you hit a lid. Am I going to step back and focus on my own safety, my own security, what I can control? Or are you going to step forward and see if you can really trust this God to come through? That's the test. The only way God can sometimes prove himself trustworthy in your life is to bring you on the edge of death itself sometimes. That's what is required. I see these moments so many times in people's lives when I'm sitting down and talking to them. So many situations. Sometimes I'll just sit down with people and they're like, we're trying to figure out if we should move a couple thousand miles across the country. And it's like, is this God or is it just us being stupid? And how do we sell our house and the new rates? And what's this going to do to the kids and the schools and all the things? You start wondering, like, is this going to ruin us? Is this going to be the worst thing that ever happened to my family? Or is this going to be the best thing? Like, I can't even figure it out. People, you get hit with a diagnosis. And in that moment, the fear can start to rush in. And you're wondering, okay, do we start the treatment? Do we have the surgery? When do we do the procedure? Do we trust this doctor? Do we need to get a second opinion? And your brain just starts swirling like, how do I know where to go? And what does God want me to do? I've sat down with a lot of couples. And they're sitting there trying to figure out, do we move forward in this relationship? Is there any hope for a future for us? Does God want that for us? Or do we need to just cut our losses? Is it time just to end this thing and move on with our lives? There are just moments where you are going to be standing on the edge and you're going to have to decide, am I going to move forward and trust God or am I going to step back? Now, this is an interesting situation because there's some different responses to what's happening in this story. Look at verse 30, Numbers 13. We get introduced to Caleb. It says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of land for we can certainly do it. Now this guy, Caleb, what makes this guy so confident? Who, who's this guy to know what they can and can't do? Like he just saw this land, he spied it out. What gives this guy the confidence? You guys have to understand, God had been promising this for hundreds of years. He said this land was a guarantee Look at Deuteronomy 1. This is God. He says, see, I have given you this land. Go in. Take possession of the land. A few chapters later, same book. God, every place where you set your foot will be yours. So something in Caleb is saying, guys, we got the keys already. I got the deed to the house. I'm moving in. Let's unlock the door and make this thing happen. Some of you guys need to hear this today. God has things for you. He's already put your name on it. It's yours. He's already given it to you. And he is waiting for you to step into it. There's stuff. It's yours already. And God's waiting for you to take the step. Now, we see here, though, Caleb's a little bit of an outlier, okay? He's not the normal dude in the group. Because look at what everybody else says in the next verse. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. 
And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Now, this is what is so interesting to me. Track with me here. These guys, what they just saw, did they see people bigger than them? It's not a trick question. Yes, yes, okay. Um, are they probably stronger? Okay, these are giants. They're about to go against the Little League versus the NBA right now. Okay, fortified cities. These guys are giving straight facts. They are not lying about a single detail of the situation. They are giving a perfectly accurate report. But here's what you have to understand. You can be right about every detail of a situation and still be completely wrong about God. Well, that's good. You can have all of the facts exactly right. You can be reading the situation perfectly and completely be wrong about God. How often do we do this? We're broke. There is no way we're getting out of this financial hole. Like, we are going to die of debt. What I'm willing to guess is you are reading those numbers right. But you also might be completely wrong about what God wants to do. That person screwed up. They have ruined this relationship. We are never going to come back from this mistake. This relationship is never what it could or should be. This is a total mess. You're probably right. You also might be very, very wrong. I hear this one a lot. I'm still single. My clock is ticking, Brian. I'm going to be lonely my whole life. I'm going to start buying cats right now. Lots of them. Lots and lots of cats. I don't care what it is. I'm hitting a dead end at this job. Like, there is just no hope. Here's what you have to be mindful of. The moment you start saying can't or won't or never, you need to realize you are at great risk of creating a false reality for your life. You got to be very careful that you catch some of those words in your own head. What do these guys say? We can't. We can't. There's no way. And what happened was they allowed their limitations to become God's limitations. They said, okay, since we can't, God can't. And they put a lid on God right there in their lives completely right about themselves. They miss a single detail. Totally wrong about God. And this is what is so interesting about fear. When you pay attention to it in your own life, fear will always lead you to become totally preoccupied with yourself. You'll start focusing on yourself. I can't. This isn't going to work for me. These are all the reasons I can't make this happen. You start focusing on what you're able to do, your own limitations, and why this whole thing cannot work. And if the only way you can trust God is by trusting yourself, you don't trust him. If the limits of your trust are based on how much you can rely on yourself, you don't trust him. That is the lid of your life for what God can and cannot do. If I can't, God can't. You know, I feel like I hear this undertone in a lot of conversations with people. I know we mean well, 
But think about how many times this starts to cycle in our heads when we're talking. So talk to people and they're like, dude, this looks hard. Like, I don't like this situation. So it must not be God. God would never ask me to do a hard thing. God would never make my life more difficult. God is my easy button. That's what God is. His job is to make things better. So, God, I'm pressing the button and you are not doing your job. You know, so many times, this relationship is too much of a mess. God, you wouldn't want me to do this because this is, is going to take years. We don't got time for this, God. We need to hit the reset button, all right? Um, God, you wouldn't want me to take that job. That job is less money. God, you would never make me want to have less money. Your job is to make me rich. That's what your job is to do. I'm not supposed to budget better and make financial sacrifices for your purposes. God... They're not going to like me if I do that. And you want everybody to like me. That's what you want, God. Everybody to be perfectly happy with every decision I make. And some of the type A folk in this room, you are so good at just opening up the Excel sheet of your life and charting it out for God. You're like, God, this is why this won't work right here. That's that red line right there. Here's why I just don't like this idea right here. Here's where it's all going to fall apart on this chart right here. And you show God all the reasons why it's not going to work. That's the entire approach. You say, since I can't, God can't. It's a lid. These people run up right against the lid in their lives, their own limitations. And the fear starts to spin and cycle in their lives, and they start spreading report. And because fear is a contagious disease, it spreads around everybody. Everybody catches it. Look at how the people now respond after they hear these guys talking about these giants and these cities and everything. Numbers 14, verse 2. If only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and our children will be taken as blood. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? <laughs> They had every single detail right, and they were completely wrong. The moment you start to choose fear, you will start to presume on God. Think about this. Once fear starts going, you start to impose motives on God. You start to reinterpret his actions in your life. So these people, they're like, oh, we see what God's doing here. He's trying to ruin our lives. He's trying to kill us. That's what's happening in this moment. Could that have been any further from the truth? God's like, trying to kill you? I am trying to hook you up in a way you could not even imagine right now. Do you even understand what I'm trying to do? I got this land. It's got milk and honey. I've got nice houses here. Like, what are you even talking about? I'm trying to kill you. And when you start getting fear going, realize what you're saying. You may not say it with your mouth, but what you're saying is, God... You're incompetent. You can't handle this situation. This is too much for you, God. No, you're also saying, you're saying, God, um, you're indifferent. You don't care. You are not engaged in this in the way I am. You don't care about the people I care about. You're not going to see this thing through. Some people go as far as to really believe, God, you're antagonistic. You're actually coming after me. You are actively working against me. You're trying to kill me, God. That's what you're trying to do. Ruin my life. And so, fear is actually a direct affront to the character of God. It is a complete denial of the reality of his nature, 
of his power and his intentions towards you. This is why fear is sin. It is an abomination. Now, I know that's strong to say that. I'm not talking about just a healthy concern about a situation. There is definitely a healthy concern. I'm not even talking about just the fear of God and what the Bible tells us to have a healthy reverence for him. What I'm talking about is those times in your life when God is actually leading and directing and bringing you to a preferred future, and instead of stepping in with confidence and trust and faith, you step back. And you start saying, no, God, this is not where I'm going. And you hit a lid. Now, I get to have a lot of great conversations with people about spiritual matters and all the things. A very common conversation is one just kind of around the idea of, you know, Brian, I am praying. I'm trying to trust God. I don't feel like he's doing anything. I'm not seeing results. Like, what is even the point of this spiritual exercise if it's not working? Now, can I be honest with you guys? I think that is a very normal experience. If you try to walk with God for any length of time, you're going to have those seasons, those moments where you're like, I just don't feel like I'm getting the results that I'm looking for. But can I press up a little bit on this? Sometimes when those conversations happen, my presumption radar goes off a little bit. I'm like, uh-oh, we got some presuming here. We got some people imposing motives on God. We got some people who think they are able to interpret his actions in their lives perfectly, and they know exactly what's happening here. What makes you so certain about what God is or is not doing in your life? Who are we to hold him by some standard of how he must operate on our behalf? How are you so certain that this hard thing you're facing is not God trying to bless you? How do you know? What makes you so certain? And so these people, the fear starts spinning. They get in the spin cycle of anxiety. And you know what they say? Wouldn't it be better if we went back? I think it'd be better to go back. Can we just pause and just recognize the insanity of this right now? Like, there is no logic happening at all. I know we're very logical, consistent thinkers, and we live our lives in a very balanced, healthy way. But these people are crazy, all right? They just got out of slavery. 400 years of horrible slavery. And they're like, you know what? Let's go back to that. That was better than what this might look like. I'm not sure if I could trust God's purposes for my life. So I'm going to go back. I'm just like, what are you people doing? Are you stupid? Like, truly, what are you thinking? This is insane. But how often do we do this? How many times do we start looking back and even start hoping for and desiring it? So many times you really go through your head. People say, you know what? I'm going to slip back in that habit. I know I got free of it and I've been seeing progress, but man, it was just a release. I think I can manage it. I'm going to go back. Honestly, people, I'm going to go back to that place from my past. Yeah, it was pretty messed up, but at least it was familiar. I mean, a lot of people, I'm going to go back to that relationship. Go check out Facebook and see what they're up to. Because even though that relationship was toxic for you, at least you knew it. You know what you're getting into. And when fear starts to kick in, when the unknown of the future starts to come right up against your face, back looks pretty good. 
it looks a lot better than what may or may not happen in the future, but it is a dangerous thing to look back, everybody. When your heart starts yearning for back, you better be careful because it's a sure sign that fear is starting to work in your life. And truly, why this is such a big deal, everybody, I want us to like feel the weight of this because sometimes I think we don't take fear seriously enough and what it really means in our lives. Look at the consequences of the fear experience these people had in their own lives in this moment. This is God now talking to them after all of this anxiety that they're starting to spout off. In verse 30, Numbers 14, God says this, not one of you will enter the land I swore you with uplifted hand to make your home. Your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in this wilderness. You will suffer for your sins, fear sin, and know what it is like to have me against you. Talk about bringing the hammer down. Talk about some consequences. Their lid of fear became a 40-year sentence. If you don't know the story, they spent those next 40 years wandering around in this wilderness, dying off one by one until there wasn't one left. Not a single person got to experience the blessings and the promises of God that he wanted for them. They were on the edge of the land, and they completely missed it. You have to feel this, especially some of you, that this is truly a struggle. The fear in your life, the anxiety that you go through, it's not just a coping mechanism. It's not just a personality type. It's not just a quirk or some bad habit. It is a direct affront to the purposes of God in your life. It actually has powers to throw you off the rails of what he wants for you. It can cause you to completely miss what God wants for you. And if this is just another thing to add to it, it can damage other people's lives too. Did you see what happened here? God said, it's not like you're just going to wander around. Now your kids are going to suffer for this. They are going to have to bear the brunt of your sins and mistakes. So just feel this, guys. Fear has devastating consequences. Absolutely devastating. So we have to ask right now, where is the fear in your life? What are you worrying about right now? What's giving you anxiety? What's keeping you up at night? Where's the fear? Fear will reveal what you value the most. That's one thing that's helpful about it. You wouldn't be worried about the thing you're worried about if you didn't care about it. So that's helpful. You're worrying because it's important to you. But fear also reveals where you trust God the least. Wherever you have fear, you have a lid. There is a lid to your trust in God. And it's revealing something about where you're at. I was um, with a friend a little while back, close friend, mentor in my life, and I had a massive life decision. It felt like I was on the edge of whatever felt like either a promise from God or total disaster. And I couldn't figure it out. You ever have those moments? You're like, is this God or not? That's what makes it hard sometimes. And so we went 
back and forth, and I'm having the cycle of anxiety and fear. I'm like, what if it doesn't work, though? What's this going to do to Nicole and the kids? And I don't know how it's going to work out. And just all of the things, right? There was kind of like this intervention moment that he had with me, though. And he just kind of stopped the whole conversation. He said, Brian, do not let fear win the day. He said, don't you dare let fear win in your life. And I never forgot that moment because it really is a battle. You are waging war against this thing. It is coming after you. The spears and the arrows are flying to totally paralyze you and take you off of God's purposes. You can't let fear win. You got to fight this thing. And so I want to talk about for a couple minutes, how can we fight back fear? Let's talk about fighting back fear for a minute. How can you actually win? How can you make sure fear doesn't win the day against you? And this is what I actually love about the Bible. If you've really not read it seriously, sometimes it gets super practical. And there are some really straightforward verses in scriptures that speak right to this topic. So one I want to touch on is written by Paul. He's a writer in the New Testament. And he wrote a letter called Philippians. And in Philippians 4, 6, Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, just think about how massive that sentence is. Do not be anxious about anything. In everything, present your request to God. So Paul is saying, you actually have some tools to come up against this anxiety and fear thing. And you actually can win this battle. There are weapons you can use. And the first thing Paul says is, if you really want to win in this battle, you must present it to God. Paul said, anything in your life that is creating any anxiety or worry, any of it, you need to bring to God. Everything that is happening, that is causing you to hesitate and step back, you need to present to God. Now, think about this. Generally speaking, this is usually not the first thing we do. You might want to say you pray about stuff, but think about your protocol that you actually follow when you start freaking out about something, okay? Where are my call mom folk at, all right? You start spinning, you're like, I need to call mommy, and I need to talk to mommy for two hours and freak out about this. You're 47 years old, and you call mom. That's the first thing you do, all right? Truly, though, some of us, you go home, and you just emotionally vomit all over your spouse. You're like, I'm going to my spouse. We just need to process this, and I'm going to blow our lives up tonight, okay? That's what I'm going to do. Some of you guys, you're social media posters, which is strange, but you post all your stuff on social media, even what you're freaking out about, just to see if the comments are helpful. They won't be, okay? They're not going to be helpful at all. Whatever it is, honestly, open up a bottle, lighting a cigarette. We all have things we do to just ease the tension of anxiety and fear in our lives. And Paul says, you have to make sure that God is your first response and not your last resort. He can't be the last thing you go to after you've tried everything else. He says, you have to present this to God. So truly, honest moment of reflection. Have you really prayed about it to God? Have you really petitioned him? That means really coming to him and prioritizing this. Has it really been like the first thing you do? Paul says you have to present this. One little thing that I've like even learned in this that is so little, but for some reason it helps me out a lot. Sometimes when I'm going through anxiety cycles, when I'm praying to God, I will actually physically hold my hands out. I'll be like, God, I need help with this. Like I am bringing this to you. And for some reason, like even just that physical act feels like I'm lifting it off myself and giving it to God. Like, God, here it is. Merry Christmas, Lord. 
You know, like, you can have it. Now, this sounds pretty straightforward, right? Present it to God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Brian, I have tried this. Like, I have definitely done this before. And I still am freaking out. Like, it is not fixing the problem. Actually, this is not enough. There's a key ingredient to this that most people miss, and this is why it's not working for you. Paul says, you've got to present it to God, but you need to do it with thanksgiving, he says. So you have to thank God. This is so important. Paul is talking about a heart posture when you are coming to him with your fear and anxiety. And this is so profound because Paul is saying you need to make sure that you have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness as you are coming with your fears and anxieties for this to actually work in your life. This is so interesting. A lot of research has now found that gratitude and anxiety are, this is a quote from some of the research, research mutually exclusive neural pathways. Now hear this. What they're saying is fear and anxiety and gratitude can't actually exist together. Joshua Clark, a writer, he says, you physiologically cannot be grateful and anxious at the same time. Like, literally, it's impossible for you to experience both those things together. Think about this. Paul is writing 2,000 years ago. They don't have any science. And somehow, it seems like God must know something. I mean, this is just the power of the Bible. When it's talking about this stuff, God clearly knows something. So as you pray... Paul is saying, make sure you have the right posture. There has to be this sense of gratitude and thankfulness because that is an expression of trust to God. So how this maybe just might look, you have something you're freaking out about right now. The fear is starting to spin. And you just stop, all right? Before you call mom or jump on Facebook, you stop. You say, God, I'm stressing. I'm feeling this. And I'm bringing this to you. I, I need your help. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. But I want to take a moment, God, I want to thank you because you promised to be with me in every circumstance. You promised that you were faithful to the end. You promised to never leave or forsake me. And God, I've seen you work in these other situations in my life. I've seen your faithfulness. You've proven it to me. I've seen it other times. I'm thankful for that. And you know what? I'm going to take a moment in faith right now and thank you because I know you're going to work this thing out for good. You promise that. And as you start to just change the tone of your voice and your words as you're praying to God, you will see something profound happen inside of you. And Paul says, this is what's going to happen. Next verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You present it to God. You make sure you're mindful of your heart posture. Paul says, you know what you're going to get? Supernatural peace. The very peace of God. Now, Paul doesn't say, oh, you pray and God's going to fix it. He's your easy button, okay? He doesn't say that. Paul says, here's the argument. God doesn't promise to solve all our problems. He promises to solve our anxious hearts. And here's why that is so much better. You actually want this, trust me, because this is what you really need. You need an internal state that transcends every circumstance. That's what you really need. Because for some of us in here, your life could be perfect, and you'll still find a way to freak out. You're going to still find a way to stress. 
You're going to freak out about what's going to go wrong with this. It's too good. Nobody move, okay? Like, you will find something to stress out about. That's why that's not the solution. It's not the state of your situation. It's the state of your soul. This is what God is trying to work on. And this is a piece that is so powerful that Paul says it will transcend understanding itself. Your brain won't be able to compute why you have this sense of peace in your life. That's how powerful it's going to be. You're going to be like, I don't know why I'm not freaking out. Like, I should be freaking out right now. That's what I usually do. Why am I not nervous? Why am I not venting to all of my friends and texting and doing all the things? Like, I feel peace right now. And Paul says the reason you're going to feel that is because Jesus himself is going to guard your heart and your mind. God is going to work on your behalf. Where when the spears and arrows of life are coming in and everything is telling you that you're going to die and it's all going to fall apart here and your life is over, God is going to be holding a shield and you will not be pierced by a single arrow. Fear will not win. You have a guaranteed victory because you have God himself watching over your own heart and mind. It is the peace of God, everybody. Some of us in here, you need to start practicing this. It's a discipline. You can actually master this over time. And as you practice, you present it to God. You have a heart of gratitude. And you position yourself to receive his supernatural peace. I'm telling you, you will change. You will notice this peace come into your life. There will be an inner calm. And it will be something totally different from what the rest of the world shows. And this is a marker and a symptom of a healthy, close walk with God true peace. It's what God wants for you. Now, there's one other thing, though. If you really want victory over this, you want to walk with the confidence and courage of God, you want to defeat fear in your life, actually, the other thing we see comes back out of the story we were reading. So I want to, I want to go back to the story now. Remember, everybody's losing their minds right now. We're going to die. God's going to kill us. It's over, right? This is the moment we're in. Now, look what happens in Numbers 14, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the Caleb we heard about before, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Again, totally different perspective on the situation. They're like, oh no, this is good. God's got our back. He's going to take care of us fascinating, Caleb and Joshua aren't focusing at all on their own limitations. They didn't say a single thing about these giants or the size of the walls or the strength of these people. They're like, no, hold up. God has this. And that is the huge difference between fear and courage. Fear is self-focused. Again, I can't, so God can't. These guys are completely focused on God. That's what courage is. It is a centeredness on God and his abilities. That's why these guys are able to respond to it differently. Look what they say in verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Fear is rebellion. That's how heavy they are with this type of thing. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Did you catch that? What is the argument they're making for why they can have courage? The Lord is with us. Us. So what do you need to be able to push fear out and really live in the courage and confidence of God? You must trust 
the presence of God. It's fascinating. Throughout the entire Bible, the single primary argument for courage and confidence is God's presence. It's the single most common one. A couple examples, Isaiah 41. So do not fear, for I am with you. Joshua 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Some of us, if you've been in church a while, maybe around Christmas time, you've heard of God, Emmanuel. It's a title. God with us. It's presence. So all throughout biblical history, the recognized presence of God is seen as the antidote to fear. I, um, I'm at a very interesting season of life right now. I got two little kids, and they have reached a point in their lives where they are terrified of going in the basement without me. Get totally freaked out. I have tried so hard to make sure they're not afraid of the dark or other scary places, and it must just be some kid gene, because they will not go down in this basement. They are convinced there's flesh-eating monsters and all sorts of things that are going to kill them. And the funny thing about this is they think if I go down there, I will somehow be able to help them if there's a flesh-eating monster. To which, I don't have a heart to tell them, kids, if there is a monster down there, we're all dead. We're all dead. I'm just going to be first, okay? So I'm going to be no help to you. But here's what's funny about my kids. If I tell them, okay, guys, I'll come downstairs with you, their complete perspective and demeanor changes. They start walking down that basement like they own the place. They're just flipping the lights on, walking around like they're going to kill whatever's down there. Like total perspective shift. And this is what just fascinates me about my children. My presence produces courage in my kids. If I am just with them, they have a confidence and a swagger that they don't get from anything else. My presence completely changes my kids. Caleb and Joshua have all of the same facts as everybody else. They saw the walls. They saw the giants. But they had a totally different predisposition about the whole thing. Same giants. Same issues. All the data. But they did not presume upon God. They saw the situation. They said, oh no, God's not incompetent. He is more than competent. There, there's nothing that's going to stop this God. He can do all things. They did not see God as indifferent to their situation. They said, oh no, God is right here. He is working on our behalf. He is giving us this land. He gave us the keys. It's time to move in. God's not antagonistic at their minds. He is working for them on their behalf. They have all of the confidence in the world because they recognize and trust the presence of God. This is so critical, everybody, because there is power in God's presence. There is supernatural favor. When we can't, he can. And so there is no giant too big. There is no fortress too strong. There is nothing that can stop you if God is with you. Nothing can stop you. You can. That's what it is. So, Caleb and Joshua, they enter the land. They make it. God hooks them up. They're the only two guys that walk in out of that entire nation. Now, here's where we struggle. You hear this, and you're like, okay, Brian, golf clap, cute, presence of God, I get it. I'm going to go watch some football today. Um, here's why this is a struggle. I tell you about the presence of God, but we still don't feel it many times. We feel like we are alone in the things we're facing. We feel isolated. We, we don't sense that he's really around and encircling us and protecting and making a way. Here's what you must understand. The presence of God is not measured by our perception. 
Should have heard more amens from that. What you sense is the presence of God is not an accurate measurement of it in your life. So many times, we go through the emotional highs and the emotional lows and the spiritual slumps and just the different situations of life, and we don't have any sense of the presence of God. And here's the thing, that is not a sign that it's not there. That is not an accurate measurement at all. Here's where Caleb and Joshua were different. They trusted the presence. They had faith for it. They were in the same exact situation as everybody else, but there was something in them that had confidence that God would be with and go forward and be around them in everything. And it completely changed the way they experienced their own lives, and they were able to step into God's promises. And this is the promise you have. You can have the same thing. You can have that same confidence in God's presence. You can walk with that same spiritual swagger. You can know that there is a God who is with you. And the reason you can have such confidence is because Jesus did it for you. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself went to a cross and he had the presence of God removed from him. He was left completely alone in total isolation for us because of our sin. He was abandoned. But then what he did through his resurrection, and now that he has opened the doors to God's very presence in your life, where now if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the living presence of God inside of you by his spirit. And God says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will work all things out for good on your behalf. This is the promise of God for your life. So if this is true, and it is, oh, hey, someone. This is the question I have for you. I want you to wrestle with this. What would you do if you knew God was with you? What if you knew without a shadow of a doubt there was a God who had all of the power, who had no lack of ability, who was fully committed to your good and his purposes for your life? What would that change about the way you were living? What would you step into? What risks might you be willing to take? Where would you just stop hesitating and second-guessing yourself? What miracles might God work on your behalf? If you would just trust the presence of God and his promises for your life, what does he want to fulfill in your life? What has your name on it? that he's just waiting for you to step into. Hear me today, everybody. Do not be afraid. Do not let fear win the day because you certainly can do it because God is with you. Let's pray together. It's just something we think is just normal. 
I pray right now, Lord, just for a healthy, fresh recognition for what fear really is, sin. Now, Lord, will you forgive us for not trusting you, for, for putting a lid on your limitations, thinking that somehow because we can't, you can't. But Lord, I know for all of us, it is so hard to really live into this. Every day just brings so much anxiety and fear and uncertainty. Lord, we thank you because we know your grace is sufficient. We know you bring forgiveness. We know you bring your goodness. And now I just pray for a fresh dose of trust in your presence. Lord, I pray that we would have confidence in it. Lord, I pray that because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, we can know without a shadow of a doubt, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Every purpose and plan you have for our lives is for our good and for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would step into the land you have for us, that we would place our feet on it, that we would have confidence in what you are calling us to, that we would be people of courage, would be a witness to the world of the confidence, the Holy Spirit's supernatural power of God in our lives. So Lord, just increase our faith, remove the lids. I pray we would be a fearless people and that we could walk in the full confidence of God because we know you will be with us wherever we go. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.